Be confident. Be bold. Be authentic. But don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass, episode number 178. In this episode, you're going to hear from Anna Ornstein Cardona. She is a total badass, a money maven, that's what I'm calling her anyway. (laughs) And in this episode, we talk about asking for your worth, leveraging your money, and facing your fears. So we're going to dive deep into that, but before we do, I've got to ask you, Have you registered for It's Not About the Numbers Masterclass yet? I cannot wait to have you in that class. It's going to be so awesome. Here's the thing. There's so much that we don't know about finances, or there's so many misconceptions, I should say, about finances, right? And we think it has to be all about the numbers. And for somebody like me, who was not a numbers girl, that was very intimidating. There are other ways to look at your finances without just focusing on the numbers. So I would love to have you attend the masterclass. It's not about the numbers masterclass and I'm doing a special encore presentation. So sign up ASAP to make sure that you get in on this encore presentation. I wanna see you there. Let's make 2022 epic with our finances. Well, it can be epic altogether. All right, the link will be in the notes. Sign up for the masterclass now. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I am so glad you're here. Today's guest is Anna Orenstein Cardona. Anna, thank you so much for being here. Excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Marie, for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So before we go any further, I've got to ask you, do you consider yourself ordinary or badass? I am a badass woman. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) I love how you just own it. (laughs) Have you always felt that way? You know, I'm lucky enough that I have, um, my mother was a very strong personality and I definitely inherited the confidence from her, but as any confident woman could say, it takes practice. So was there any point in your life where you started to feel more confident or like anything that, like a situation that triggered you to start feeling more confident about yourself? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I, um, so to give you a little bit of a background on my career is I am now a certified financial educator and wealth coach or money coach. But for 22 years, I worked in on fixed income trading floors, both in the US and in Europe. And as you can imagine, having um, the personality that you have to develop to be able to work on a trading floor, which is not only is it super male dominated, right? It's like 99.5% men, (laughs) but also, you know, it's the environment of um, having your voice heard. You need to be loud. You need to be trading. You need to be balancing a lot of things. And one thing it probably was in my mid thirties is when I really, so a good, you know, 10, 12 years after starting 
on Wall Street is when I finally found that you don't always have to be the smartest or the hardest working to do well in that environment. You just have to really have the confidence to make people believe you're good, which is funny to say, right? But it's about like selling your self, your, your confidence more than selling your knowledge, which it took me a while to understand. Once I got it, my career really took off. So how did you start going about selling yourself more or getting more confidence with yourself? So I think it's um, a few things. First of all, it was really sitting down and saying to myself, what have I achieved? So for instance, when you work in finance, it's quite easy because you usually have economic figures and goals, right? Targets and budgets to meet. And I remember, I'll give you an example. I once, um, I had started at a new institution here in the UK, a new bank, and I was given my goals. And then at my end of year review, basically I had smashed the goals. I had done like two and a half, almost three times more. And you know what I was told in my review? I was told, well, your goals were too low. Instead of saying, you know, how awesome. And then I really like had to control my inner anger at this <laughs> gentleman and say, well, you are the one that gave me those goals, you know? And so I stood by them and I said, no, I just outperformed them. So little things like that were really like the triggers that started to make me think, wait a minute, I am good at what I do. My clients really love working with me because I, on the trading floor, to um, tell you a little bit, I was covering hedge funds, asset managers, and financial institutions um, as a general kind of class of investors. So I worked with them on their investment portfolios on doing trades and executing them, usually in the fixed income space. And so little things like that. So what helped me build my confidence to answer you is number one, kind of really sitting down and evaluating my work. Second of all, looking at the feedback. I mean, this guy was a bit of a jerk, but I've had other bosses that weren't and who really helped to, to remind me you're good at this. Third was building the kind of a re relationships with my clients that eventually I call them friends. You know, and that's really beautiful, not only from a personal development and professional standpoint, but to, to know that, you know, not everyone has that talent to do that. And so that really helped me slowly build my confidence. And I'll tell you that in building that confidence, the key factor for all women and the younger, the better is to know your worth and ask for it. Right. And so as my confidence built, I stood in myself to say, okay, no, well, I need to get paid better because I am performing better than expected. And so it really gave me that voice to stand up for myself. Um, and that's really important. And why I say the younger, the better is because in life, when we have a salary and an income, right, every future potential promotion you get is usually based on a percentage of your previous base, right? Your previous income. So when we as women enter the workforce, it's super important to make sure that we get the higher range possible, the highest. And it's a matter of asking because many times positions will have a range from lower to higher. And they'll just offer the lowest. And usually, sadly, and statistics shows that women get offered the lower side of the salary, right? So if we start at 20 or whenever, you know, I started working at 21 to ask for the higher range, that already sets in motion higher employer matching contributions, higher potential to save, higher uh, retirement um, that we can put into our financial future. And future promotions will be based on a percentage of that. So that's why having confidence 
knowing your worth and asking is super key. So for the woman that's like terrified to ask for her worth or to go in and ask, or she thinks she's automatically going to be rejected. What would you say to her? So I go through that a lot with my one-on-one clients, by the way, because one of the biggest things that I believe, and I teach as a, as a financial coach is um, we always have to think about increasing our income, number one, and diversifying our income. Diversifying our income means doing things that increase not only our active income, which is income provided from wages and from jobs, but doing side hustles and other types of jobs to complement that, but also building our passive income. And that could be eventually right through getting on the property ladder, renting out properties, investing in the markets, investing in things like stocks that pay dividends that increase our passive income. So while we're sitting here talking, that's saying we have investments, those investments are working for us, right? That's the goal of creating financial resiliency. And so when you are um, afraid to ask, right? So when my clients come to me and I ask them about, okay, when was the last time you had a pay rise? And in my questionnaire that they fill out, it's usually around, did you have a pay rise in the last three years? So it's pre-COVID, right? It covers that period. And I'll probably have to extend it now that sadly COVID is extending too, to make it maybe four years. But the point is 99 0.5% say no, I have not have a pay raise. The next question is, have you asked? 100% say no. (laughs) So again, it it, it is finding the trend of saying, okay, is it, so I say literally, like, let's go through this together. Why why not? Have your tasks changed in the last three years? Absolutely. I have more responsibility now. Okay. Well, if you have more responsibility, does your current job description match your previous job description? The answer is no, right? I'm doing more, but earning the same. So we got to fix that. So it's about really sitting down and going, okay, what is the tasks I do now? When was the last time I got a pay rise? And look to see what you know new tasks I'm doing, how I'm being evaluated, because usually there's a half year or year end um, with your management, you get a review. And if not, you should ask for it because we need to be, again, asking for... Um, tangible ways that can measure our performance, right? And so you sit down and you say, okay, well, when you go to make that ask, you have to be well-prepared and well-versed. And I, I, I help, uh, for instance, my clients come up with the, with the language to use because you want to be straightforward, but not aggressive, right? And so you have to learn kind of the, the language to use. But for instance, um, in the current environment, we are now, Marie, where the, there is a labor force shortage, right? And There's um, in the economy, especially in certain sectors, there's a big need for labor. And that's partly what's driving inflation prices, right? Because they've had to really bring up incentives for employees to stay. I think it's a great time. And a lot of conversations I have with women, you know what they say is like, oh, but we just are in COVID and it's so hard on the company. I'm like, that's not your problem. There's always a way to pay you. You need to make the ask, right? So that's what I would say. Look at your current job description, your current tasks. And if you're doing more than what you were before and you haven't gotten a raise in the last three years, it's time to make an ask. And the way to know by how much is do some research. Go on to, um, you know, speak to some headhunters, speak to some peers if you're comfortable with in your company or outside the company to get a God, um, how do you say, gauge, um, to immeasurable uh to compare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, go on to websites that also go on to LinkedIn. Many times, you know, like I get a lot of emails saying, oh, they're looking for this kind of person and this is the pay range. 
see where you are and then go with tangible points as to why you deserve a raise. And what's the worst case scenario? If they say no, then you say, okay, can we create a plan together of measurable goals that I can attain to then get the pay raise? I love that. It's so good. Um, I think that I even laughed when you said hundred percent say no, but it's like mind boggling. It's like for the day and age we're in, you know, we should be paid the same as men <laughs> and it shouldn't even be an issue. But part of that is on our shoulders, right? Like you said, you have to ask for it. Um, so that would be our part that we could take. But what I really liked is how you said, okay, look, do the research, find out what's out there. Because if you're lacking confidence, maybe by just doing the research, that's going to help you like find the proof to back it up. And then you're like, oh yeah, I am a badass. I got this. A hundred percent. You're so right. Yes. It ignites that fire, right? To take action. Yes. So good. So I can't wait to dive into more, but first, will you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So I, um, I'm currently speaking with you from London, United Kingdom. I, um, but I am not from here originally. I am actually from Puerto Rico in the Caribbean. And so I was born and raised there. And then I went to study in the, in, uh, Boston, in the U S I studied at a university called MIT and I studied brain and cognitive sciences, which is very different from what I then got into, but talking about how life is full of ups and downs in a way, right? Is um, I had been doing pre-med and on course for neuroscience. And I realized, gosh, I have all these student loans on my shoulders, even though MIT was very generous in financial aid, there was still a big portion of loans I had to take. And then I diverted to work into Wall Street, straight out of college instead of going to medical school, because I thought, let me go make some money for a couple of years pay down my student debt, and then I can take more student debt. Because as we know, studying in the US is very expensive, especially medical school, isn't it? And then what happened is I started to work on Wall Street, and then my company got bought by a uh, European company. And so they're like, Anna, we have an opportunity for you to go to work in London. And I thought, wow, I'm 22 years old, and who's ever going to pay me to go work in another country? So that brought me to Europe where I've worked for the last 20 plus years in global financial um, markets. And I left that um, did the day job earlier this year to launch my business, which is called Wear Your Money Crown. And it's a financial education and coaching business where I help both men and women, but primarily women to create financial uh, resiliency and build generational wealth. And um Aside from that, as a sign, I'm also a children's author. So, you know how I talked before about we need to build a diversity of income? Yeah. Before I left, um, I started my certifications because even though I have a lot of experience in the financial markets, I wanted specifically to get a certification as a financial educator so I could work from all age groups, men, um, young children, you know, men, women. Um, because I was working with big financial firms and it's quite a different, as you can imagine, different uh, ball game, right? Additionally, I went to night school to study creative writing. So my point is, even though I was doing the day job, which I'm very thankful for and I loved, but my heart was always set on bringing together my love of the markets and of finance and doing good, leaving a legacy in the world. And I love writing. I have a, a creative imagination, let's say. So 
my point is you can do more than one thing. Yes. You need to find the balance. It's so easy to be like, I got to do one thing or focus all in on this, but then like, it can be so helpful to be creative or to tap into that creativity because who knows where it will lead. Yes. And it's complimentary by the way, because one of the things that always at at work, I was, um, even though it was in the financial space, they always said, wow, Anna, you think of these ideas no one else thought of. And that's where the creativity side. So sometimes when we actually feed our passions, they help us more in other aspects of our life. Such a good point. So have you always been financially savvy? Um, Okay. So I'll tell you the story. So I was always financially aware, Mm. right? savviness comes through experience and hard work and dedication. So I grew up in a very humble family. My, both my parents were first generation uh, to go to university, very hardworking, huge hearts. So even though they were both lawyers, they basically did pro bono work and, you know, having three children and sending them to good universities. Um, sorry, even before that good elementary schools to start into the system, you know, it was, it was hard. So money was very, very tight. I always say love was huge. Money was tight in our household. And, um, I realized really early on, we moved a lot. We didn't have a lot of stability in our home in terms of having one home, you know, because my parents rented and then we would get kicked out. We need to go to another home. So since childhood, literally, I remember I was at camp and I overheard some money conversations the evening before. And I remember sitting at camp by the pool going, I need to look after them. I'm like 10 years old. I'm like, I need to look after my family. I need to make some money. And so that's where the savviness started of me thinking, how can I make money as a kid? Right. And there's, there's ways, right. I I did dog walking. I did babysitting. I actually sold pens and stationary at school, super inflationary prices. (laughs) And thankfully people paid. So little by little, that's how it started. I became a little saver. And, um, from there, what happened is I knew, okay, what's a good way to earn money is a good education. And the educational choices we make as women from a young age are also very important to impact the financial wellness of our careers, because truth is certain careers pay more than another. And when you, um, let's say, are able to get an education that, and it doesn't have to be an Ivy League, you you know, university, it doesn't have to be, it's just opening your mind, getting an education, learning, and then applying that to get a good job. So for instance, I, you know, I worked really hard to be able to get into MIT. And once I was there, I realized that I love it. But financially, if I continued my career path to be a doctor, I couldn't help my parents as I wanted to, because I'd be incurring more debt. And, you know, you have residency and it's a long, long process, right? So I made myself the commitment at 10 years of age to look after my parents. And I did that. And at the age of 22, I bought them their first home. And I'm very proud of that. But that took that dedication, that focus at from early on learning how to save. And then when and going into a profession that would allow me to do that. Now, the secret from then on is not saving. It's actually learning to make our money grow learning to invest our money in a strategic and smart way that is in alignment with our values. Because I believe that you can be wealthy and have extremely good values and that money just helps you amplify the goodness you have. And so I'm very passionate about teaching that. And 
I was lucky that when I started, right, I started on the trading floor. And I remember no one taught me this, right? No one taught us. And this is something also I'm passionate that we need to teach kids young about financial savviness. But I remember the best advice I ever got was I was offered a 401k, which is an employer um, retirement um, fund, right? Uh, at the US. And they said, oh, I thought, should I put money to this 401k? What is this? And one of my older colleagues on train floor, absolutely, you're investing in your future self. And I'll never forget those words because that's where it all started. I said, okay, I need to put money away. That's all I knew about it, right? For my future. Now, of course, when we invest into the employer-sponsored retirement plans, or if you're self-employed, you can also have a retirement plan, right? But when we put money to our future self, what we have to think is not the lack of money now, but the abundance of money in the future. And it's hard, especially when you're young. And I remember in my youth living paycheck to paycheck until I was able to really build that financial resiliency. But meanwhile, meanwhile, my money was working in the background. And so that's really important. So the savviness came step by step. So once I learned about the employer retirement plans, oh, wait a minute, they offer matching. What's that? And I looked into that and I'm like, wow, that's free money. If I put in a percentage and they match it, brilliant. So if anyone is listening to this and is not maxing out the contribution in order to get the employer matching, please, please, please take that first step for your financial health because it's the easiest decision that you can make. It's free money. So that was one of the first steps. The next step is I had bought my parents' property and I thought, okay, for me, given the instability I had in my youth of moving around a lot, having a home was always for myself a big, a big thing. So my second step was to buy another property. And through that, then it all continued. I'm like, okay, the second property is for me, but I need a property to generate income in the future. And that was the next step. So it was little baby steps right through my 20s and 30s. Now I'm in my young 40s. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> More towards the middle, but it's all good because I believe that age is just a level. And so with in all honesty with life expectancies going up we're, we're like less than the midlife right now right so it's really important if anyone is listening to this who is in their 40s and goes oh, but I haven't saved any money please let's take a deep breath forget and forgive our past financial maybe um money avoidance mistakes you are still so young to start the process with life expectancy into the 80s and 90s and even hundreds with all the scientific technology that's helping the medicine and all that, we still have years to make our money grow through compounding interest. Man, there's so many questions that I want to ask you from the things that you just said. Um, one thing that stuck out towards the end there is you talked about money avoidance mistakes. It's like, and I've done this before myself too, or I've done this too, is sticking my head in the sand. You know, like I didn't want to face what it was, which probably gave me more anxiety. But can you talk a little bit more about that, the money avoidance? Absolutely. Transgenerational money beliefs that are limiting. Most of them come from our childhood, right? And there's different ones according to financial psychology. But one of the biggest is money avoidance. Now let's, let's digest that a little bit. When we hear the word avoidance, the word avoidance is kind of the fear of facing something, right? So that could be, for instance, 
the fear of opening bills, the fear of not wanting to check in on your reality and your finances. It could be things like, well, I'm gonna, and this happens sadly a lot sometimes that, you know, women wait to get married to then face their finances or think that someone else will, will sort things out. So for instance, they give up their financial power in a relationship many times saying, oh, he's going to be, he or she is better at it. And, you know, they'll manage. But when we do that, we're giving up a little bit of our autonomy and we are giving up some of our freedom. And, and we'll digest that in a minute, but let's talk more about avoidance. Avoidance can be manifested in giving other our powers, avoiding certain situations, or leaving things because we're always too busy, right? And this happens again a lot with women. It's like they put everyone else first, their spouse, their children, their parents. And by you protecting yourself first, it's like the oxygen mask on a plane. By you putting that financial oxygen mask on, you're able to take care of others so much better. So how do we face our financial fears, right? How do we stop being money avoidant? It's practice. It's first of all, realizing what transgenerational beliefs led us to that. So for instance, many times money is not talked about in households or it's hushed or there's comments about, oh, you have to work really hard to make money. Or there's comments about, oh, rich people, they're all cheats. Or, oh, you have to come for money to make money, right? That's a big one. And when you face, okay, what are the beliefs that I have about money? And you realize that they're all rubbish, right? That there are other people's money beliefs that we've inherited. We need to stand up and say, okay, let's face, let's face money. Let's make, I always love to say, let's make money our friend. And what do I mean by that? It's like, think about your best friend. We spend time with our friend. We have trust. We, we nurture our friendship. So we have to do the same with money. And that's by dedicating time to understand it, to face it. And from there, all the other elements start to come in. It's giving it respect. And by respect, I mean is living below our means, balancing our needs versus wants and saving. Because the more we save, the more we can invest in order so that money works for us. And I say it nurtures us because the fruits it bears for us, whether that comes from stock dividends, from interest, from bonds, or from, for instance, uh, rental income, you know, we have all these different forms of income. Those are the fruits that money pays back to us. Yes. So good. So good. Um, it can feel intimidating though. It can feel absolutely intimidating, not knowing the first step to take or the first thing to do. And then I think that a common reaction is, oh, I'm just going to ignore it all. Is there one tiny step that they can take just to start? Sure. So one of it, okay. So just something that made me think about that is so, so by the way, I, I am trying to get fit. I'm trying to like exercise, eat healthier, fit into my pre COVID outfit <laughs> outfits. <laughs> um, exercise and intimidates me. Like, I don't know where to start sometimes, you know, I'm like, well, I've been working out and I'm not losing any weight or I'm eating healthy and I'm not losing weight. So I reach for my glass of wine or something, right? My cheese platter. This is my point. We all have fears for someone like you. You might go, oh, that's hilarious. I love exercising and I find it easy, right? So, so my point is everyone has something that they're scared of. Now, how do I face it? 
personally, first of all, I signed up to classes because by um, going to group classes, I just feel a little bit more inspired, right? I have a commitment. And now I have a beautiful lady who is my trainer once a week to do some weights together. So by committing to her, I commit my money, right? To pay for these trainers. So because I've paid, I'm really showing up. So, so my point is with your finances, you can do the same. You can find someone to help you, number one. And, and a lot of people don't know about financial coaches and financial educators. There's a lot of also free resources online, but the great thing about working with someone one-on-one is the accountability factor. Same for me. I know when Hannah is going to show up to help me lift weights that I got to be there. Right. And, and that accountability is, is helpful. Now let's go through a few steps about maybe like creating a financial action plan that we can do today. And again, you can do this at any age. You could do this in college. You can do this in your twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. So one of the most important things is to sit down and understand, okay, where are we at today? One kind of easy measure to do this is, is uh, knowing your net worth. By that, I mean, is understanding our current financial situation so that it can act as a compass to guide us further. How you calculate that is you take your total net worth, that would be your savings, that would be things like real estate, other valuables you might have like art or jewelry, and you deduct from that your debt. And that would be student debt, credit card debt, mortgage, or personal loans, car loans, for instance. And that just gives you a number. So you know where you are. And I do this exercise with people very, very in detail, because sometimes you forget about all the things you, 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 you might have, even things like intellectual property. And th- it, that's an um, intangible asset, but still it can count, you know, your business name, things like that. You sit down and go, okay, this is where I'm at. And you think, okay, where do I want to go? Right? Where, where do I want to build my net worth? So that would be something just to have as the first guy. The second thing is you can calculate your cash flow. That is the monthly income minus expenses that we have every month. That's money in minus money out. So money in would be, let's say, salary, wages, tips, bonuses, alimony, you know, rental income. And expenses would be housing, food bills, utilities, debt payments, right? And medical expenses. So let's see where our cash flow is. Because by sitting down and really seeing what's coming in and what's going out, we can help to manage that that income to make it positive, right? Positive cash flow. The third step is let's prioritize our goals, like knowing what we want in life, both in the short term and the long term. Because I'm a huge believer in like holistic financial wellness, where we want our financial behaviors to be in alignment with our goals, right? So, but we need to know our goals. What do you want to do in six months to one year? Do you want to gain new skill sets, right? Do you want to pay down debt? Do you want to increase your retirement contributions? Do you want to buy a car? Do you want to get married? You know, you really need to have your goals set. Then after that, step four would be, okay, I know my net worth. I know what I'm making every month in cash flow. I know my goals. So now I'm going to create a budget that is in alignment with those priority goals, right? And by creating that budget, if you notice, well, I'm actually not making enough money, right? Okay, let's now think about ways I can increase my income. First step, if you're employed, make the ask. After analyzing, like we first talked at the beginning, analyzing where you're at, what tasks you're doing and see. If you can't get a raise, see if you can do a side hustle. 
See what else you can do to raise your income. Reduce your expenses. That's actually the easiest and quickest way to build positive cash flow is reducing our monthly expenses, right? So, so you do that budget, you sit down knowing what your goals are and you're going to make, for instance, let's pretend that your goal is that you want to develop a new skill set to start your own business, right? Well, then part of your budget is going to be as an expense, whatever fees you're paying, whether you're getting a coach or you're getting, uh, going back to school or you're paying for something, right? So that goal is going to be part of your budget because you're going to be doing the monthly allocation of money towards that goal. Step five, that's super important, would be now that we know where we're going, right? We've established our goals. We have our budget in alignment. Let's make sure that we're protected. God forbid something happened to us. And I call that, you know, it's um, kind of building your moat, right? You're protecting yourself and your loved ones. So make sure that you have um, things like personal accident insurance in case you're in an accident and you can't look after yourself. It'll replace part of your income. Disability insurance would be for specific disabilities. It's much more stricter in its requirements. Things like health insurance, number one, right? We need to make sure in the US, especially where medical care is so expensive, it makes me really sad, especially you know being an American, but living here and having uh, ability to go to the national health um, system here, which is amazing. The costs in the US are extraordinary. So we need to make sure we have health insurance. Even things like, you know, we need to think, especially if we have children and we have assets that we have life insurance as well. So there's certain things, you know, if we drive a car, we need to have car insurance, right? Because that's protecting ourselves now and our assets so that as we grow, we're protected. So those would be like the main five steps, I would say, to like creating a, a, an action plan, knowing where we are, knowing, and that means like mentally, it means financially, it means physically, right? Then establishing goals, establishing a budget so we can align ourselves to it and making sure that we're protected in case something happened to us. And there is such power in having a plan. You know, like you have, you gave those five steps, like knowing what you're going to do or knowing what the next step is, you know, there's, I find confidence in that. Um, and my confidence grows just from taking one step and then the next step and then the next step. Like you don't have to figure it all out right this second, but start with step one that Anna talked about. I think that's so important. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think a plan is, um, even a budget is a plan. You know, I know people get very overwhelmed about the term budgeting, but there's so many different styles of budgeting that you can do to fit your, your personality and your preferences. But at the end of the day, don't call it a budget, call it a financial plan. Exactly. Yes. So you mentioned earlier how you bought a house for your parents at 22, which is amazing and insane. Can you talk about how you did that? So firstly, I saved money (laughs) Um, from those jobs that I said, even from university, I always had two jobs and I was always a little saver, but this is the most important thing about building wealth. We need to know that we have something called leverage. Okay. Leverage in buying a home would be a mortgage, right? So I borrow money from a financial institution and I leverage myself. I put a deposit and then I have a monthly mortgage. And that's something that a lot of people fear debt. I think debt can be quite our friend if we use it smartly. If we don't over indebt ourselves, 
and that we've created a plan talking about financial plans to make sure that we have the resiliency to pay for it. So I'll give you, um, and this is a really important topic. It's a really, um, that leads to some important things. So firstly, I had a good employer, right? So I knew that when I filled out my mortgage application, I had that financial stability of being employed by a good employer. So that would be a positive, right? I had checked my credit scores, right? And reports to make sure that I always had paid my bills on time. I made sure that they, they were clean in terms of sometimes there's errors on these reports. So always before we go to get a loan or something, we need to make sure our credit reports are good in our credit score. And I had saved enough for a deposit for years, right? Again, for my youth and all the little jobs and, and bigger jobs I did in university. And then with my bonuses from work. So that's how I did it. I set myself that goal. And then I created the little baby steps to get there. But leverage is super important because that is one of the most important ways to build wealth. Borrowing on credit card is not positive leverage unless you have, again, a plan to pay it within a certain amount of time. Having a mortgage, yes, because why? First of all, interest rates for mortgages are low versus credit card interest rates are extremely extortionately high. Okay, I still lived on credit cards in my youth like especially through university, quite a bit. So thank you credit cards for being in my life. And by the way, there's a lot of benefits to credit cards too, because they allow us to purchase things sometimes when, you know, we don't have the ability at that point in life, number one. But number two, they give us consumer protection because if we buy things with a credit card and either there's a damage or we don't get the product, depending on certain terms and, condition, no, terms and conditions per issuer, um, you can get compensated. And third, there's great benefits. Like if you also think about that, if you have a credit card that has a cash reward, meaning that they give you back some money and you pay your credit card in full each month, that's free money as well that we, so, so again, I'm not saying debt is bad. A lot of people put this um, and it really kind of pisses me off. They say, Oh, debt is so bad. I'm like, wait a minute, there's good debt and bad debt. So let's talk about the leveraging and the good debt. That's how I got a mortgage. I couldn't afford to pay that at 22, but I had enough to pay a deposit. And I ensured that I had at least two years of stability to know that I could pay that monthly mortgage. So, so that's the first step of leverage. Um, things like getting student loans is another positive way of leverage if that higher education will lead us to a higher return on investment by getting a bigger salary. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting because like you said, that's not talked about how debt isn't always bad and you can use it to your advantage, you know? <laughs> so I think that's perfect. Yes. Yes. And by the way, think about property, you know, in the US prices have gone up uh, massively on fire since COVID because people realize, well, if I'm going to work from home, I want to have a nicer home or, you know, this or that. But, but the point is that um, very few people can afford to buy a property outright cash. And if we didn't have that fear to buy debt, to, to get ourselves into debt with smart assets, a lot more people will be wealthier now. So we have to let go of that debt and, but, but be smart about it, right? We have to, again, not overextend ourselves and know that when we buy a property, that we can at least have two years that we can carry that. Should we lose a job? Should we be unhealthy? How do we do that? We do that either by saving or by having the insurances that I talked about to protect us if we fall ill and cannot work. So important. And I think that's forgotten about. So I like that. Um, one thing. I want to pivot a little bit and talk about is your struggles. We mm -hmm. often see like this social media world or we think everything's gumdrops and lollipops and it was so easy for her, but I could never do that, that kind of thing. So will you talk about 
a struggle you faced along the way? Oh, sure. Well, I, I've had many struggles. I, I do say that one of my characteristics is perseverance and above all faith. I have a lot of faith in God and I have a lot of faith in, in, you know, that there, I have faith that if you do good in this world, it comes back to you. So let's start with struggles. As I said, I did not grow up in wealth. I did not really have examples of wealth, right? I had examples of love. I had examples of hard work, working people. But sometimes building wealth is not about the hard work. It's about savviness, okay? And we talked about a few things about that. Some of the struggles I had, so I didn't come from wealth. How did I get to the UK? How did I, I build this, this, this life and career it was one step at a time. Okay. It was not an overnight success. <laughs> um, I think that other struggles that I, I have gone through as well have been health struggles. I have a genetic condition. I don't talk about a lot, but it really, in my twenties, I was in the hospital every three months. And that was a big, um, it was a, a very difficult thing for me. Um, I had a period where actually I was very, very ill and I lost my eyesight and it was really, really horrible. And my point is that, again, the health insurance was there to protect me, right? The fact that I was employed helped me because that also conserved my income. But had I not, that's why those insurances that I talk about are really important. So I had the struggles of the physical struggle that thank God, once I was diagnosed and they told me what medications to take and what medications to avoid, I was super good. Thank God, touch wood, it's been over 20 years of health. But my point is, you know, I had those struggles too, but I didn't let that define me. When I was offered the job in London, was I scared? Absolutely. I'm like, who's going to take me to the hospital? I don't know anyone there, but I didn't let that stop me. And my mom also, she was so beautiful. She's always like, you just go, we'll find a solution to it. You know, if something happens and it was a blessing in disguise, because here is where the doctors found out what the illness was after three years of no one being able to find it in New York. So that was a blessing. Then, you know, the struggles of even, for instance, um, you know, jobs, it was bloody hard, as I say, like being a female in a very male dominated environment, having my voice heard, fighting for equal pay, fighting for, you know, um, the, it can be quite a vicious world sometimes that are training for people steal your clients and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. No, mate, you're not doing that. So it's, it's, it's those struggles. It has not been easy. And I shared with you earlier, you know, I, I, um, I'm a children's author. I struggled for years to even say that because I hadn't had my book, any book published, but I was an author. I was dedicating weekends and time. And so I'm very grateful next year, my debut, which means my first children's book is being published by Beaming Books in August, 2022. And people might see that announcement, but I've been writing since 2014. Mm. You know, I went to night school to study. This is my fifth book I've written and it's the one that's getting published. So when you see things and achievements from people, please know hand on heart that that, that in the background they're probably still pedaling, right? It's like staying above water and, and still pedaling underneath. I feel I've done that my whole life. So we all have struggles. Now, um, some of them could be, again, physical, they could be mental, they could be financial. But the thing is to realize that there's always a solution. And sometimes we leave it to others to get those solutions to us when we have to be really proactive 
as I say, with my physical health, thank God, my mom, she flew to the UK when I was hospitalized and she fought for me, you know, because I couldn't, I was like passed out. (laughs) So my point is we need to be our advocates or have our advocates with us. And if we don't, you know, we need to make sure that we can get over those struggles, you know, other struggles. I think we all face with, you know, I'm starting my business now and it's scary, right? I know I'm good. I see the transformation in my clients, but it's scary to not have, let's say that steady income coming in every month as you do in a, in a fixed day job. But I prepared myself financially for that. I exited once I knew I had a financial cushion that I didn't need to use my savings to be able to build my business in a way that is um, in alignment with my values, which is to be of service, you know? And so we all have fears. I think the important thing is, oh, by the way, here, journaling has helped me with my struggles. You know, I try to journal every day. I pray every day. And, and I just take it one step at a time. So again, what you see today is years and years of hard work, dedication, and mastery. As we know, it takes hours to learn a new skill set. Don't be scared of learning to make your money grow because you're doing this. You face, let's say, that money fear, right? The fear of like the unknown or how do I do this? Find help. Educate yourself. Um, you will be breaking the negative patterns that might have followed you from childhood. And then you create wealth for other generations to come. OTVers, listen to what Anna just said. You might even want to rewind it. It was so good. And even if you feel like you're peddling or like somebody else is ahead of you, it doesn't mean that you're not successful. You're right where you are. Just keep putting in the action and doing the work. So, so, so good. So I know we're winding down here. Um, Let's end with a tip to encourage women who are in the arena fighting for the life that they want. Ooh, I just got little shivers when you said that fighting in the arena is so true, isn't it? Okay. It would have to be this. Live your purpose and go for the steps that will help you achieve your purpose because standing in your purpose will help you succeed. It will help you be happier. It will help you bring money towards you through abundancy. It will help you stand up for yourself and learn to say no. No to bad situations, no to bad relationships, and no to bad jobs. So how can we connect with you? And will you share about a little bit about your webinar coming up? Oh, great. Yeah. So, um, uh, I can be, I try to put uh, a lot of nice financial tips and commentaries um, on social media, on Instagram. I am at whereyourmoneycrown.com. I have a free financial Facebook community called Where Your Money Crown Financial Community. You can find all that in Instagram and in the link in my bio. Um, also, my website is a great source where you will be able to see about my upcoming webinar, which is going to be teaching some of the key steps of building financial resilience. And I will be right now, um, I'm going to be expanding from working one-on-one with individuals to working in um, a group coaching program that's going to be all about aligning our financial behaviors with our goals, managing money efficiently, and learning to invest from scratch. So it's going to be a step-by-step process on building financial resilience and generational wealth. 
Okay. Thank you so much, Anna. You've been a total badass and I've enjoyed hearing your story. (laughs) Thank you so much. And with that, we'll end our show. To all the badass women out there staying in the arena, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, own it and get after it. Now that you've listened to this episode of Ordinary to Badass, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, OrdinaryToBadass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future spotlight episode of the show. That's OrdinaryToBadass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt and get back in the arena.